In this session, we're going to continue with the question of how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It seems really clear from Scripture that He does. Um, as I said, of the 59 times that He appears in the book of Acts, in 36 of those He is speaking. And I get that there are some different things happening in the book of Acts with the apostles. The apostles are a unique group, but you just can't convince me that the only book that God gave us that uh, tells us stories of people, uh, what it's like to walk with the Holy Spirit, that that one book has stories of people whose experiences are supposed to have nothing in common with us. Jesus said that our relationship with the Holy Spirit would be something like uh, his disciples' relationship with him. So what does that look like? What does it feel like to speak, uh, for the Holy Spirit to speak and for you to hear that voice? Jesus told us that it would be mysterious, like the wind. Um, so it's not an exact science. It's not a formula or a chart we're gonna produce, but um, the fact that it's mysterious, the fact that it's like the wind, doesn't mean that it's not happening. So in the last session, we saw how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word and also will direct us in our circumstances. Uh, in this session, we want to consider, first of all, that God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to us through His church. So let's discuss for a minute how the Holy Spirit speaks through the church. Throughout Acts, this might be the most common way that the Holy Spirit speaks other than Scripture as He speaks through a member of the church giving guidance to another member of the church. You, you see this, for example, in Acts 13 too, with the Apostle Paul when the Holy Spirit, it says, says to the church, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them in ministry. What the Holy Spirit did is he gave the church an instruction that would guide Barnabas and Saul, who would become Paul in the ministry that God had for him. Um, you see Paul throughout his uh, um, career saying things to people in the church, uh, giving guidance to them um, that's from the Holy Spirit that doesn't really classify itself as Scripture. Paul receives many of those kinds of words as well. Jesus said that the church on earth would be his body. It's how he would do his work on the earth. It's, I think of it like, um, like my body when um, my left elbow has an itch and my mind wants to relieve that itch. Uh, the mind doesn't send down an automatic bolt of like brain power that, that, that takes care of the itch. It sends a message to the fingers on my right hand and says, hey, your brother left elbow is, is itching. Why don't you go and, and take care of that for him and scratch it? And so um, my fingers go over and they scratch the elbow. And when the right hand does that, that's not any less the work of my mind than if my mind did it independently. It's that my mind is employing my fingers in, to take care of what the mind's wishes are. Well, Jesus is saying that he is like the mind of the church that executes his will on earth. Um, through the means of his body. So when God wants to give direction to one of his people, um, he will most times do it through his church, which means if you cut yourself off from the church, you're cutting yourself off from the guidance of the Holy Spirit and his ministry. A lot of times people say, well, I just don't feel God and I feel like he's not guiding me and directing me, but they've separated themselves from the church and I want to say, well, of course you're not experiencing the direction of the Holy Spirit because you cut yourself off from the means by which he does the majority of his, his work and guidance that he gives to you in your life. Another way we find that he speaks to us is through our spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit will put something in our spirit that becomes a particular burden or a focus um, that he wants us to pursue. A great biblical example of this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah um, believed that God had uh, called him to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
What's fascinating is when you read the book of Nehemiah, you never find a place where God verbally says to Nehemiah, this is what I want you to do. It just says, Nehemiah says 2.12, that God put it on my heart to do that. Um, there are times where God will put it on a believer's heart, this particular burden that he wants them to go and pursue. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17 talks about um, having his spirit provoked when he saw the idolatry at work in Athens. Um, he had not planned to do ministry at Athens. He hadn't planned to preach there on Mars Hill, but it was his, the provocation in his spirit uh, led him to conclude that God was opening up an opportunity for him to do that. Um, believers have their spirits provoked about various things, and that becomes um, the means by which the Spirit calls them into a particular focus of ministry. Another example, Romans 15, the Apostle Paul talks about having a special ambition to take Christ where he'd never been named. This is coming really toward the end of Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry had started like this, really wide. He, just, he debated the gospel in synagogues. He evangelized Jews. He built up churches everywhere. But what you see is that as he's progressing in ministry, the, the focus of his ministry is narrowing to a specific slice of the mission of God. And that slice is preaching Christ where he's never been named. Well, in the same way, that's what God does with believers today is he'll take the broad mission and he'll say, yeah, these are a bunch of good ideas. Let me give you a couple of God ideas for your life and let's focus so that you have a personal ambition. Um, the question that I would have for you is, have you felt God moving in your spirit that way? Um, have you felt the mission translating into a vision? Have you felt these God ideas begin to emerge? Maybe um, you're particularly burdened about um, the orphans or those in foster care in your city. Maybe um, it's a particular career field that has very little gospel witness. Maybe it's an unreached people group. Um, maybe it is uh, the teenagers or, or kids in, in your church and having a, a particular burden for seeing them grow up and, and, and follow Jesus. Um, whatever it is, you understand that these provocations in your spirit are many times the Holy Spirit's voice um, calling you into something that he's putting on your heart the way that he did for Nehemiah and Paul and, and numerous other people throughout scripture. The thing to remember about these two, um, the same as it was in how we interpret his movement and our circumstances, is to remember that we can be wrong in our interpretation. Other people in the church can be wrong. We can be wrong about what we sense God saying to us in our spirit, which means that we have to hold those things loosely and always submitted to scripture. And what I mean by that is, is you're open to the Holy Spirit speaking and moving and guiding in them, but you're not elevating your interpretation of those things to the level of authority that you give to scripture. Scripture is absolute. When scripture speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks, but you'd never let one of these other four things rise to that level. Um, sometimes what people say to you, for example, um, in the church, things they believe are from the Holy Spirit turn out really not to be so. Um, in, in my life, when I was first getting into ministry, I, I traveled one weekend with my best friend to a, a really small church out in the country. When we got there, we were informed that the piano player was sick that morning. So my friend um, gets up to preach and he announces to the congregation, he says, hey, I'm sorry your piano player is sick, but I happen to bring with me just an awesome piano player and worship leader, JD. I'd like for him to come up here and lead uh, in a song. Now, the problem with that is that I'm not really a piano player. I, I can play three songs on the piano, uh, Alleluia, um, As the Deer Pants for the Water, and then Faithfully by Journey. Um, and I just learned those just <laughs> kind of off the cuff, and I'm not a, a song leader, and I'm not a good singer. But we had this deal, he and I, that if one of us ever played a joke on the other one publicly, you had to kind of follow it through. That probably was not the wisest deal we ever got into, but anyway, I was committed. So I ambled my way up to the piano. I sit down thinking, you know, 
am I going to play, I can't play faithfully by journey, so I'll play Alleluia. So I sit down and I pound out the chords to Alleluia and I sing in the mic and I lead the congregation. Um, he preaches at the end of his sermon. He uh, gets that look in his eye and again and he says, you know, I'm going to ask Brother JD if he'll come back up here and, and uh, lead us in the invitation hymn. So I walk back up and I played you guessed it, hallelujah, and I led them again in that. Well, after the service was over, this sweet um, pastor's wife comes up, um, and she and she was kind of shaken, and she just had this, she said, I need to pray for you boys. The Holy Spirit's giving me something for you. And um, she held her hands, and she looks at my friend, and she says, the Holy Spirit told me that you were going to be the next Billy Graham. You're going to preach to millions of people, and thousands of people are going to come to faith in Christ through your ministry. Then she looked at me and she said, and you, the Holy Spirit has told me that you're supposed to be his concert pianist. You're going to travel with him and you're going to be the ones who draws the crowds in through the excellence of your music. And then he's going to preach to them. Well, you know, I kind of look at my hands because they're more like meat cleavers and finely tuned instruments. And I'm not a good singer. This lady, though, she was very sincere and a very godly lady. What she was saying from the Holy Spirit was it just didn't resonate with the giftings I saw that the Holy Spirit had put in me and with the things that the places he was leading me. So just because she said it was from the Holy Spirit didn't mean that it was. Paul, the Apostle Paul said that we are to test the prophecies. To test the prophecies means that we evaluate um, what's being said by other people in the church to whether or not it lines up to what God is doing in our lives. Even the Apostle Paul uh, has times in the book of Acts where he chose not to heed things that other people said they were getting from the Spirit. There was a guy named Agabus who gave him some counsel that, um, that Paul ignored, even though he knew Agabus often spoke from the Spirit because it didn't resonate with what the Holy Spirit had been doing in Paul's life and what Paul saw from his word. We should be cautious never to elevate what we sense the Holy Spirit saying in our hearts to the level and the authority that we give to Scripture. Several times throughout my life, things that I thought the Holy Spirit was saying to me turned out really not to be so. I remember hearing of uh, a very famous evangelical leader, a guy who's very well respected, um, told his staff that he believed the Holy Spirit had told him that within the year he was going to die and that he needed to finish his magnum opus, his life's work, and then to transfer control of his organization to his successor. I have a friend on his staff, which is how I know this story. And so he obeyed what he thought God was putting in his spirit, and he did that, and he transferred control. Um, that was 18 years ago, and the guy's still alive and, and kicking today. Um, does that mean that he's a flake? Not at all. Um, same thing happened to Isaac in the Bible. Genesis 24, Isaac gets the impression that he, he feels like he's going to die within the year. Usually when that happens to someone in the Bible, they expire within a few months, but Isaac lives on for several more years. Uh, George Whitfield, the famous Puritan evangelist, um, he, when his first son was born, um, told everybody that he, the Holy Spirit had told him that his son was going to grow up and be a great evangelist, and he began to preach that in different places. Uh, tragically, his son died when he was only four months old of a, of a disease. So what does that mean? Does that mean we have to be cynical about the idea of the Holy Spirit moving and speaking? Not at all. In fact, let me give you three practical principles that you can use in interpreting things that you believe the Holy Spirit is saying through one of these four ways outside of, of Scripture. And by that, I mean our giftings, how He speaks in the church, how He speaks through our circumstances, and then how He, he moves in our spirit. Number one is to hold your interpretation of all these things except for Scripture loosely. 
Scripture is the only thing that you can be 100% sure that what it is saying, the Spirit is saying, what the Scriptures say, the Spirit says. You never elevate anything else to the level of, of Scripture, and so you, you always operate with a sense of humility um, about these things and with less certainty than maybe you're comfortable with. You acknowledge that in many ways it's like the wind, that there's some mystery to it. Number two, and very similar to that one, is that uh, you never elevate anything that you feel in your spirit or say to somebody else. You should never elevate that to the level of Scripture either, where you say something like, thus says the Lord. Uh, Y'all, more havoc has been wreaked in the church following the words, God just told me X, than probably any other phrase. Um, so you, you always speak with um, with a sense of, I think God might be saying this to me. In the same way, um, you should never elevate what somebody else says from the Holy Spirit to the level of, of, of Scripture. Um, that's a real way to put yourself in a place where you can be abused. When somebody says, well, God's telling me this and that about you, um, the Bible would never point you to give that person's word the authority of what Scripture says. The only time I ever say this is what God says is when I have a chapter and verse to attach to it. The third thing that I would suggest to you is, in spite of these two warnings, that you not eliminate the possibility of the Holy Spirit moving and speaking. Um, it seems like for a lot of conservative Christians that on this one, they've not only thrown out the baby with the bathwater, they threw out the entire institution of bathing altogether. Um, it's just clear that the Holy Spirit moves dynamically, um, as He does in the book of Acts, and He will, will, will guide His church, and He'll lead him, uh, different individuals into where He wants them to go. Remember the statement that we looked at from the, the old British pastor from 50 years ago, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he said, there is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. This has happened down throughout history. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us to despise not prophesying, which means don't just just throw them out altogether. To, he tells us not to quench the Spirit of God. Regarding those who would deny the possibility of the Holy Spirit speaking in any one of these ways, just remove it altogether. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God have mercy on them. God have mercy on them. It is better to be too credulous than to be carnal and to be smug and dead. So be open to these four ways that, that the Holy Spirit can move and guide in your life and beyond Scripture, uh, the church, in your circumstances, in your spirit, um, and through a sense of your giftings. Be open to them, but anchor yourself in the Word of God. Hold everything else loosely, but submit yourself to the Scripture and anchor yourself there because that's where the Spirit of God begins to lead you as He leads you as you grow deeper in your knowledge of the Word of God.